welcome to Compelling Communicators, a podcast where we learn some golden communication truths from compelling communicators from wide-ranging fields, including teaching, mediation, youth work, mental health nursing, counseling, expressive arts modalities, and community development. In this episode, we meet Michael Sharpley, a recently retired defense barrister who spent over 40 years honing his communication skills in the courtroom, communicating with judges and juries and with his clients. We hear how Michael's value of sincerity is linked to his view that communication at best is about a genuine exchange of thoughts, feelings and ideas between people based in a spirit of truthful and reciprocal exchange. Listen out for why knowing your audience is critical in all arenas of communication, where performance fits into the communication continuum, the role confidence in communicating plays when presenting a case for judgment, and where this confidence can be misjudged, how to use communication to rebalance the power dynamic, and why getting the ego out of the way in communication is so important to achieve communication goals. Over to Michael to introduce himself. Uh, I'm Michael Sharpley. I'm a retired barrister, uh, 41 years at the Victorian Bar. And before that, I uh, had a few years as uh, a broadcaster. Uh, A broadcaster with the... With uh, the ABC mostly, but uh, briefly in commercial radio before that. Okay. I'm sure we'll hear more about that. But before we jump into communication, what's a value that's really important to you in your life in general? Sincerity. Oh, sincerity. I'm sounding surprised. (laughs) Why sincerity? You don't see me as sincere. (laughs) I do. Why sincerity? Well, just I, I don't like deception. I like to feel that I'm dealing with real people telling me how they really feel. Interesting. I wonder how that came through in your work experience, but we can explore that. Well, maybe you'd like to start there. No, no, no. Carry on. (laughs) Okay. Well, this is is a a podcast about communication Mm. um, and how we are with each other. That's why I asked the value question, because it it does drive how we communicate and the approach that we take. Mm -hmm. So do you want to continue in that theme and say what communication as a concept means to you? Well, communication uh, exists at a number of levels. I mean, if I go in to buy a meat pie, I communicate that desire to the person behind the counter, and they communicate the fact that it costs me $5 to do that. But at a a higher level, uh, real serious communication, the kind of communication I'd like to indulge in or would like to indulge in, is communication between people who are uh, exchanging uh, genuine thoughts feelings and ideas, uh, that kind of reciprocal uh, exchange is, is what I ideally want communication to be. And uh, uh, I, uh, it's important to try and get the ego out of the way because the ego messes things up. It does indeed. So reciprocity mm-hmm. um, is an approach to communication that, that you value. Yeah, well. Or is communication. Well, it has to be. Yeah, it has to be two-way or it isn't yeah. communication now. Yeah. Right, and you talked about the meat pie, and that's communication for a purpose, a transaction, Mm -hmm. which is Mm two-way, but it's very different to the type of communication, which is ego out the way, a real engaging of ideas that's reciprocal. Yes, that's right. Um, How 
did you use communication in your work? Uh, two ways, communicating uh, legal uh, arguments to a judge and trying to make the judge understand the logic behind the argument and the inescapability of my conclusions, and also in uh, addressing juries after trials, uh, communicating to them why they should return the verdict that I was uh, seeking. And were you using logic with them too? Yeah, uh, using, yes, using, well, I hope so. Uh, I was certainly uh, saying what I, I I was purporting to be logical and whether sometimes that wasn't particularly logical, I don't know. But I, in fact, uh, on occasion, uh, would use words that uh, wouldn't be readily understood by the jury or or even use concepts that went way over their heads and were completely lost. Mm-hmm. And there was one particular case, and this goes to a, a later question on your list, where I, I, I was too clever by half in uh, addressing the jury and, and dressing it up in amusing language. And it occurred to me afterwards that they wouldn't have had the faintest idea what I was talking about. So you have to tailor what you're saying and the kind of thing you're saying to uh, what you, uh, that particular audience will understand. So I suspect this might come up later, but knowing your audience is one of the critical yeah, things right. about communication exactly. so that you pitch it right. And when you when you speak to uh, knowing your audience, it's about the words that you use. It's about the way that you share that information, whether it be through sort of florid mm. um, analogies or whether it be more uh, direct and concrete. Mm. Or logical, mm. um, the, the clean logical argument. And if you put uh, an argument in in, in a, a way you think is very funny, mm. which uh, amuses you no end, but doesn't in fact uh, accord with the sense of humour of the audience, you're you're wasting your time. So it sounds like ego gets in the way. Though. Ego, yeah, yeah, so. that which goes to your former point, which is get that out the way, and then you have better communication. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Um, can you describe the type of communication that that you would use in a courtroom? How would you describe it, apart from logical? Well, it's uh, you in a court case. You there is some evidence uh, you want the jury to uh, reflect on and take seriously, and there's other evidence you would quite like them to ignore, as though it hadn't happened. Mm-hmm. So you emphasise the ones that you're you're fond of and uh, try and stitch together uh, a dissertation that relies on the good parts of the evidence and uh, basically ignores the others. Although if, if there are bad parts, you sometimes you have to address uh, the bad parts and explain why, yes, they seem bad, but in fact they don't really matter. <laughs> so it sounds like you're creating a narrative, you're creating a story that you want people to understand. Is that, yeah, is that that's one right. way of seeing exactly it? exactly that, yeah. Yeah, which is actually very similar to, say, the teaching um, context, mm. which I think we've talked about yeah, on many occasions, I'm sure it is, yeah. is that you're creating a world that you want people to understand and then walking them through it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did do a few months as a teacher, actually, and uh, <laughs> it, it was similar. You're trying to uh, put a concept before an audience in a way that they will understand. And That's right. Uh, that was similar. That's right. But what's different is that with a judge and a jury, that you're not engaged. They're not engaging back to you. Well, the, the, the judge students might. weren't either. The judge will engage back very much. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's true. And say you're wrong, Mister Darcy. <laughs> yes. 
but yes. Um, but the jury sits quietly. They do. Um, and they do. You've got no feedback there, except they do sometimes laugh at one's jokes. Okay. <laughs> which is very reassuring. And, and here we have the ego again. That's right. <laughs> um, and and so I know that you've got a performance background as well as a younger man in, mm. in theatrical performances. Uh, where does that come into play in the courtroom? Or well, does it? I, I hasten to add it was purely amateur, but I, I don't really know what, Communication has to do with that. You're you're playing a part. You're communicating whatever the uh, play has to say, but uh, you're not really offering anything other than a proper reading of those lines. But taking translating your skill as a dramatist mm. into the courtroom, I imagine, is yeah. uh, a useful um, attribute within the com- your communication. Toolbox. Oh, absolutely. Uh, a, a bit of theatricality, a bit of uh, uh, actorly skill uh, goes very well in the courtroom when you're talking to juries. Lots know. of pregnant pauses. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And slow drinking of cups of water. Yes. yes. <laughs> to make the point or give them mm. time to think. Um, actually, why when you when you would do that, what, what were you hoping to affect? Well, <laughs> in... The, the the pauses, there's a famous, it struck me, and I don't think I ever did this, but the, there's a particular barristerial cough where the barrister <laughs> isn't quite sure what to say next, needs some time to think, well, where am I going with this? What am I going to say next? So there's a, a dry cough while, while that thought yes. process goes on. Well, in my case, I didn't cough, but I had the occasional sip of water for that reason. Yes, absolutely, to add drama to the moment or to give yeah, your time, you kind of think. time, yeah. Um, all of these skills along the way of which we've talked about, logic uh, presenting ideas in clear and concise forms, in, introducing drama into it, trying to connect to your audience, knowing what they're going to understand, creating a narrative. Um, and then there's all the other things that you have done in presenting and um, and many other examples. Uh, how have these communication skills impacted your life in general? Uh do you think they have? Well, I, I mean, in, in I was talking about communicating arguments, which one does to a jury and to a judge, indeed. Um, and, and But that's been a part of my life ever since I was a child. I was always keen to argue. That came naturally. I didn't develop it. It was just there, um, for better or worse. And uh, I don't... I don't think that uh, it's gone beyond that, really. I simply uh, enjoy argument. I think I'm capable of being logical. And uh, I used that skill as a barrister. And I don't think I used that skill as a broadcaster. I, mm. I, I don't see that as being involved in... I, I know you're communicating. You're speaking into a microphone and people are listening to what you're saying. But it didn't ever feel that I was communicating, really. I was doing what was required and, and trying to do it properly and well. but With a time I, factor. I, I, yeah, I didn't feel that uh, I was actually communicating with any individual. Interesting. Um, so what did you feel you were doing? Performing. There you go, hmm. performing. Um, performing in what way? Well, performing in a way of uh, reading the news in uh, a, a proper manner, so that it, I suppose communicating 
the, the significance of what you're saying, communicating what yeah. the news was. So there is a level of communication, I guess. But when I was introducing music, I was communicating the fact that that, that was a song written by so-and-so, played by, sung by so-and-so. Um, I, I suppose it is communication, but uh, I, I didn't, because there was obviously no feedback, uh, or mm. no immediate feedback, I didn't ever feel that it was a two-way street at all. I, I felt I am uh, required to do these things, to say these things, and I'll try and do them properly. Um, and I hope that what I'm doing gets through to the other side, but the other side can't get through to me. So well, when I talked before about communication, I really meant essentially two-way communication. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Um, and what we've left out of this scenario so far, this discussion so far, is how you've communicated with your clients, because that must be a very different type of communication. It would have some yeah. of the elements of the courtroom logic and audience element, mm. but... I imagine there is a significant other element which is relational on a different basis. Would you like to talk to what you think the type of communication you used with clients, with people who are at their most vulnerable or you you describe? <laughs> well, in, the, in that context, I, I was always very conscious of the need not to talk down to them, not to uh, in any way... Um, treat them as lesser individuals. Mm. They, they come in expecting to be sneered at, and I, I felt a special need to be make make it clear I wasn't sneering at them. Mm. I was, uh, And however ridiculous their story, I wasn't saying, well, that's nonsense, you're a liar, I, or, or wasn't even implying that. I, I, I felt the need to take them seriously and uh, give them a proper hearing and to frame my advice to them, whatever it might be, uh, against a background of having heard what they had to say, uh, having not dismissed it in any way, mm. but uh, having assessed it in the legal context that I knew about and basing my advice on that. But I, I, I felt the need to treat them, if you like, um, to treat them as equals, mm. not, not to in any way assume a, a loftier position. Yes. And to give them space to share what they wanted to share with you. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. However uncomfortable that might have been. Mm. Mm. When you were training to be a lawyer, mm. do you remember, did you receive any particular advice on communication? Well, <laughs> there, there, was, there was one day which was devoted to... Uh, to uh, public speaking, how to use one's voice. And because I'd worked as a, a broadcaster for many years beforehand, I went to the pictures that day. <laughs> um, I didn't attend. But uh, otherwise, uh, 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 experienced barristers would come and talk to us um, when we were doing the uh, introductory course and uh, say this is the way to communicate to magistrates, judges, and so on. Uh, some general advice was given by the various people who'd been doing it for some years. Do you remember any of that advice? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't really. It's been sort of incorporated in what I did mm. for the last 41 years and uh, lost in the mists of time. So do you remember a moment where you had a breakthrough of your skills um, where you either failed or 
succeeded in a particularly notable way and you thought, yep, yeah, I know something now I didn't before. Yeah, well, I, 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 was, I had that uh, I raised earlier. There was a particular case where one of the things judges say uh, to juries uh, in their introductory remarks in every criminal trial is, members of the jury, it's important that you remember that it's the answer to the questions that is the evidence. It's not the question. If the uh, uh, barrister says enthusiastically to the witness, the car was red, wasn't it? Uh, and the answer is no, it was blue. Uh, there is no evidence of a red car. The evidence is only that the car was blue. Well, I, uh, I had a case where there hadn't been any uh, answers given by the accused I was prosecuting. And uh, I went on and on at the jury about how members of the jury, this is a case which is awash in blue cars. And, and I went on in that kind of vein, very amusingly, I thought. But in retrospect, uh, it was obvious to me they hadn't had understood mm. a word I was saying, and it meant nothing to them. Mm. Now, there I should have explained what I was saying in much more simple language, and I was too clever by half. Mm. And so the learning for you comes back to yeah. know your audience. Know your audience. Don't... Uh, and, Don't imagine they share your quirky sense of humour. Yes, and also remove ego from the... Yeah, well, easier said than done. Oh, always, absolutely. So that, in some ways, goes to this question around what impact you're looking for. Mm. Um, and I think we've touched on it before. Um, but the impact I'm imagining is... Well, you tell me. When you, are, when you communicated with clients, when you communicated with a jury or a judge... What were you looking for in impact? Well, with the clients, I was looking to, as I said before, to reassure them that I was on their side, that I wasn't going to be judging them, that I was going to ex listen to and accept what they told me and base my advice on that rather than ignoring that and telling them what I thought. Um, how, and did with, you, how did you know that you had achieved that with clients? Well, you don't, you don't really know, but I, I, you get a fair idea by the kind of general feedback they're giving you. If they seem happy with uh, the way the interview has gone and uh, uh, if, if that continues to be their attitude throughout your dealing with them, that's reassuring. I think that means you've done what you wanted. Is there a tell with... So are they nodding? Are they are they are they warming to you? Are they asking you more questions? Are they sitting back in their chair? What are they doing? Well, they're they're relaxing a bit. They mm. come in and they're quite tense because they're seeing a barrister. They're mm. facing criminal charges. Their life is in ruins mm. or potentially in ruins. And uh, if you feel that they're relaxing, you feel that you're doing your job properly. And and with a judge, <laughs> with the judge, you're trying to convince the judge that you know what you're talking about, which may very well not be the case, but you try and create that impression. You try and carry the judge with you. And, and you have to deal again with judges vary enormously as to what approach works. You, you uh, uh, Some judges respond to uh, hard and fast ex exposition of yeah. what you say the law is. Others want to discuss things and right. uh, enter into an exchange. Uh, from others, again, you get no feedback at all. So you have to, again, know your audience. And it also sounds like you need to know the personality of the judge and the yeah, judge exactly. as to whether uh, what yeah. they're doing is yeah. giving you the green light to continue. Mm. 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 
Uh, you have an anecdote about a, uh, an interaction with a judge that went horribly wrong, where you misjudged it, no pun intended. Oh, well, I, I, I had a couple of examples where I overestimated my ability, um, <laughs> my eloquence, uh, in a very dramatic way, really, from the client's point of view. Uh, th these were, on both occasions, they were appeals against sentence. Um, uh, of someone who's been sentenced by a magistrate to a term of imprisonment, and they're appealing to the county court for a second hearing and, and hoping for a lesser sentence. And uh, judges quite often would say, well, look, um, I'm, I'm considering a, a heavier sentence, Mr. Sharpley, if you continue, uh, would you like to abandon the appeal now and settle for what you've got? Well, I, they, they say that quite a lot. And I always had been able to talk them round and, and sometimes get them to lessen the sentence. And they'd, they'd, But on a couple of occasions, I, I said, no, we don't want to abandon your honour, we'll go on. And uh, the client got a lengthier jail term. And that was my fault. So that wasn't a good feeling. Right. So would you, is that something that you would change again? Obviously, for your client, yes. But could you have known that? The outcome would have been was well, it I, I, I should have I, I thought I could walk on water that right. no judge will ever resist my <laughs> arguments to the point where he would actually increase the sentence this can never happen well it happened not just once but <laughs> twice so it seems to me that confidence is a massive factor for a a role such as a barrister because you are putting on a show mm. you are you have a number of clients that you're managing. You've got mm. the client, then you've got the judge, then you've got the jury. Yeah. Um, and you have to believe in some ways that you can walk on water, that you can pull off the the unpullable, offable situation. Do well, you not? To, to, you need a certain level of confidence, yes, but uh, you do have to know when to abandon ship. That's right, as to your point where mm. you didn't and mm. the outcome was less favourable. Okay, moving to the impact for uh, that you're looking for in the jury, when do you know, of course, they're made up of different people every time. It's a great... Yeah. Yeah. When do you know you're hitting the jackpot and you're, or you're going off? Well, I, I talked before about them laughing or smiling, at least, at my jokes. I, I think... Uh, I, I always tried to not give a, a bland uh, sort of legalistic uh, address to a jury. I tried to to speak to some extent in the vernacular and and make odd little not 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 tell jokes as such, but but to refer to something that happened in uh, in the trial in a sort of uh, what I thought was a humorous way and. When I did that, and they, the whole 12-man jury and 12-man and woman jury sat there stony-faced, I knew I wasn't getting the uh, results I wanted. But when they did actually smile and respond, well, that, that uh, was much more encouraging. That reminds me of moments in the classroom which you, where yeah, well, exactly that would be the, the same, same. Yeah. Um, yeah. where you think that this is mm. going to break the ice and it mm. doesn't, and you think, okay, yeah. Yeah. change tack. Mm. Um, so almost to the final questions, but these ones are um, slightly away from, I suppose, 
anecdotal experiences. Mm. Uh, this one is a is a bit of a nonsense of a question because, of course, there's no one golden truth. But from all of your experience of communication and all that you've talked about um, with the skilled application of it for different outcomes with different people, very important outcomes, is there one golden truth that you think holds true around communication? I think, uh, as we've said before, the essential thing I would say would be know your audience. And that applies not just to speaking to a jury or a classroom. It applies to one-to-one communication. Know who you're talking to and speak to them in a way that uh, they will understand and respond to. Mm. That's uh, uh, my golden rule. Yeah. So measure your length. You know, be aware of of who the other people or person is and uh, engage in that dance, Mm. yes. Mm. Um, A last penultimate question, an impactful communicator that you have experienced or witnessed, um, somebody that's left a massive impression on you, it could be somebody that taught you, it could be somebody that you you have never met. Do Mm. you have such person? Well, yeah, I I saw that question and I thought about that and it took me a while to come up with this, but I do now remember uh, he was a barrister, but uh, a barrister I've never met, never spoken to. But when I was doing the law course at university, uh, they had a debate on stage at one of the university theatres. And uh, one of the people uh, taking part in the debate was a barrister called Ron Meldrum. And I thought he was terrific in that debate. I, I, I'd never seen anyone communicating their ideas uh, as effectively as that before, and I don't think I have since. It was awfully good. What did he do? Well, just I can't remember what the debate was about, but but he uh, he, he wandered around the stage. He he, he spoke in a uh, sort of uh, uh, an ordinary conversational manner, but got his ideas across very clearly, and and generally created uh, an impression that you wanted to go on listening mm. to this man and. That, that's, uh, I suppose, a kind of model I had in my own barristerial career, uh, talking to juries, in that I, the jury are sitting there, they've already been addressed by uh, the prosecutor, say, if I'm a defence barrister, and they're, they're, then they they have to, they're told that, well, now you hear an address from the defence barrister, and they're sick of sitting there, they're sick of listening to people talk. And uh, I always felt there's a need to somehow attract their interest and, and engage them. Uh, and, and that might be by a humorous remark or uh, a way of uh, referring to the evidence that might take them by surprise and they hadn't heard before, uh, hadn't thought of before. And that's the kind of thing that this fellow Ron Meldrum did. He just he just picked up the audience uh, mm. and had them in, a, uh, in his, hands, his hands. Palm of his hand, yeah. He was awfully good. So that's he's the one I'd nominate. Fantastic. So he sounds very engaging and charismatic. Yeah, charismatic. I think that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Mm. We haven't really talked about charisma. Do you do you want to say more about that? And the role it might play in your communication? 
Oh, well, that would be very self. I've no idea. <laughs> but you like it when you see it in I, others. I like it when I see it in others. Yes, yeah. Yeah. it's a, it's yeah. hard to define, but we know it when mm. we see it, don't we? Mm. Um, Michael, you're um, in your retirement. You've just retired um, mm. after a how long career at the bar? Forty-one years. That is an, a massive achievement. Mm. Um, well, congratulations <laughs> on your retirement. Thank you. And. I understand that there may be some radio programs in your near future. Yes, I, I'm talking to a local uh, FM station about the possibility of doing a jazz program. Fantastic, because jazz is a lifelong love mm, of yours. It is, yeah. So um, should that come to fruition, we can put details um, for people to be able to listen mm. to because your radio um, career goes way back and mm. as does your love of jazz so definitely want to to listen out for i'll be listening in um final question when you say goodbye to somebody whether it be for you know see them next week or whether it be for a longer period of time how do you like to say goodbye to people well uh, yes I, this question when i saw that uh, had me stumped really i i find it difficult uh, i think to say goodbye. I know back in those long ago days when I used to go to parties, I'd always find myself stuck with some boring person in a corner when there were fascinating things going on elsewhere, and I just couldn't get away. I, I couldn't uh, somehow, I, I, I just couldn't say, well, you're boring. Please <laughs> stop talking to me. Go away. So I'd, I'd be stuck in this corner until some someone came and saved me, really. Um, but it, it it is hard to to bring conversations to, to an end if they don't end naturally. I mean, some people want to go on talking to me for a lot longer than I want to go on talking to them, and uh, you have to try and contrive and get an excuse to get away. I suppose, and the point is. You have to make that excuse plausible so they don't realise what you're doing. <laughs> Sounds that's the like hard a, re part. a return to the law. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> well, Michael, thank you so much for your time um, today. And it's been really enlightening as to how you've used communication in your um, work and uh, personal life. So thank you for spending the time with us today. My pleasure. In this episode, Michael has shared his golden truth of communication. Know your audience. Speak to them in a way they can connect with and respond to. My gratitude goes to Michael Sharpley for his time, wisdom and work, all shared with us with humour and generosity. Stay tuned for Michael's upcoming radio show entitled Jazz Profiles on 3MBS. Go well all. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compelling Communicators. Thanks to Nina Humphreys for composing the music you're listening to now. See you next time.